We're doing a series on your family and my family, but I want to give you an update on my family. I had last week, I told you how I crashed and burned on the soccer field spiritually, uh, yelling at children who are nine and eight years old, <laughs> expecting them to perform at the highest level of soccer, um, snarling at parents who accused me of being harsh. You don't know the game. Silence you. Uh, we lost eight to four, but I was fired up. I was excited. I was positive. I was happy. I was, ha- I was encouraging. I was high-fiving the kids on their great efforts. And I had forgotten about their efforts. And I, I got caught up in their performance versus their effort. And when I encouraged their effort, they played ba- They actually scored four goals. That was the first game we've actually scored goals. So I was like fired up. I was like, I'm going to keep being encouraging. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, it was awesome. Now, the team beat us from Chatsworth. They were awesome. Uh, Jaden scored a goal. It was pretty cool. He had a penalty kick. He kind of did like a typical soccer foul. It wasn't really a foul, but he fell in the box. And, um, <laughs> Why people hate soccer, son? Uh, and he fell in the box. He got the call, and he made a PK. And I was like, yeah! So it was pretty cool. Um, and I just want to let you know that my progress, you know, Juan Martinez texted me last night. I said, how did it go, Barnabas? You know? <laughs> Barnabas means son of encouragement. So I said, Barnabas was alive and well, I'm here to say. I, I, I went to bed last night with no regrets, no like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. I went to bed last night like at peace with God and man. It was awesome. My daughter's team won, they were undefeated. God loves the women in my life, obviously. They're doing extraordinarily well. She scored a couple goals. We're, you know, we're just doing really, really, really well. So it's really encouraging. We're talking about your family, my family, and the future of our children's family. That's why this lesson is so important. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came. This is a lesson that will change your family for generations to come if we can just put to, to practice some of the principles that God sees for our family. You know, last week we started out with saying uh, uh, the, the ideal versus the real. Here's where God puts the ideal, but here's where we're really at. And so what we talked about last week was we come from less, idea, less of an ideal family. Everyone has a different background. But we want something better for our children. But better implies that some family dynamics are better than others. And so we live in a culture that doesn't want anyone to feel less than. And so we normalize things. We normalize divorce and separation. We normalize, you know, the anger and the frustration, the fighting in the house. It's just normal. You know, we base it on our ethnic background. Oh, we're just Italian. We're Latino. That's how the Latins talk. So we normalize the chaos and dynamics. We make it normal. But we want something better for our kids, right? So uh, the problem with normalizing everything is that you dumb down everything and you give future generations really not much to shoot for. And so that's the problem with it. So Jesus comes into the scene and he teaches us and points us toward an ideal of family. And we saw those last week. We're going to review them today. Yet when we can't reach the ideal, he does not condemn us. But he does not lower the ideal either. He doesn't make it normal. And so the question that we asked last week was, are you willing to embrace a standard or will you redefine terms until you feel good about where you're at? So are you going to lower it or are you going to try to live up to it? And so the answer, if you're a follower of Jesus, is we don't have much of a choice. We need to do this. We have to do this. So for the next four weeks, 
we're going to look at the idea within the context of a less than an ideal world that we live in. And we find in the Bible there are very few good examples of great families. Now there's very specific instructions for the family, but there's very few great examples of it. So if you feel like you're in the, you're like, I can't do this, you're in the majority. We all feel that. We all feel the ideal versus the real. And so today we're going to talk about power, powering down. Power down and the question that can change everything. The teachings from last week, this sounds old-fashioned to you, but to the first century Christians, it was futuristic. They live in a Roman culture where husbands... The norm was, you should be harsh with your wife. They should, you should talk down to them because they're not your equal. That's the norm back then. And so this was an elevation, almost a futuristic teaching. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate, even to the wife that was chosen for you. So if you were in a family that this, your, your parents chose your spouse, the call was to be considerate of them. And then wives... Submit to your husbands, and women say, always say, you don't know my husband. You know, children, the one we love, obey your parents. And fathers, do not exasperate your children, uh, or they'll become discouraged. You know, only in the Christian culture can we find this today, or at least the ideal of it. The norm has become, be harsh, talk down. Be negative. And I, I really believe we're not trying to be negative. We're just trying to help them the best way we can. But what ends up happening is we, we become negative. That's what we, that's what we normally do. We want, them to, we want so much to be, them to be better, but our words are negative, And what we're trying to shoot for actually tears down. That's what I was do on Saturday. I'm, in my heart, I'm trying to make them better soccer players so they'll live a very, very fulfilled life, right? <laughs> right? I, that's my heart. I, I, I want to be a great coach. I want to help them. But it's how I'm communicating what I'm saying is what's missing. So let's go to the New Testament. In Ephesians 5, verse 22. Husbands are now sitting up in their seat going, Honey, pay attention. (laughs) Honey, this is I want you to focus. Put down the phone. Look at the screen. Look at your Bible. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As you do the Lord. That's the ideal. Right? And you're going, Gio, it's really down here. But Jesus says, this is the ideal. This is what an ideal family looks like. And I know your reality is lower. I understand that. But it says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you would to Jesus. Okay? When, when men point this verse out, I like to remind them that who it really addresses. It addresses the wives. It doesn't address the husband. It addresses the wife. So let the wife kind of read the scripture for herself. And this verse is extraordinarily important. Because it's an application to women of a mandate given to all of us. Paul was drawing from the teachings of Jesus and applying them to family. And Paul watched Jesus' use of power and drew from it the most powerful relationship of all. An instruction that will change your dynamic in your family, which he gives in the verse just before this one, which is 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You ever been in a conflict with your wife and then someone that you don't really know that well walks into the room? And the thing you're about to say to your wife, you kind of reserve for not saying it because someone's in the room. Someone's now watching. Someone's now going, what's going on? And you're going like, hi, hi. And this is all of a sudden, hey, hey, honey, so uh, what time are we leaving? And you have this awkward look on your face. You're trying to be nice, but you're really angry. When someone comes into the room, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, someone's watching my dynamics. I know this is wrong. Out of reverence for Christ, because He actually is in the room. He's there. So out of reverence for Christ, it says, we submit to one another. Well, what is reverence? Reverence is awe. Because God is here. Jesus is among us. That's what it says. Oh, like, oh my gosh, God is here. Now, he doesn't say, out of reverence for one another. Because one another may not deserve it. Right? The way how, how you're being treated throughout the day, if it's, if it's out of reverence for one another, you may not qualify to get, you know, submission. That's why it says, out of reverence for Christ. This is the ideal. He introduces a principle of doing for one another what Christ has done for you. So we submit to one another out of reverence for what Jesus did for us. What did He do? He is a powerful Savior who leveraged His power for your benefit and put first you ahead of Himself. When he came to die on the cross, instead of expecting you to die for your own sins. And everything that follows that is an application of this. This is the ideal. So it brings us to a concept of mutual submission. Yes, men, mutual submission. Not just the wives, submit to your husbands. But the mutual, because Jesus leveraged His power to come and help you when you needed it the most. He didn't have to. He was willing. And because of that, He says, hey, out of reverence for Christ, submit to each other. And a Christian families should be characterized by mutual submission. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you to try this anyway. Because it will change the dynamics in your family. And the message of mutual submission is this. I'm here for you. Regardless of your place in the family. I'm going to leverage my power, my influence, and my resources for your benefit. That is what Jesus did for us. That is what mutual submission is. doesn't matter if it's your youngest child, or your oldest, or your, or your spouse, or your husband. It does not matter. It says, I'm here for you regardless of your place in the family. You know, a month ago, and a month and a half ago, um, Karen and I were at our wit's end. Not with each other, but with our daughter. Her room was like a tornado. Oklahoma was like... Pfft. 
like every week, and it kept getting worse and, and worse. Where to kiss her to bed, I, I was climbing over stuff just to go to her bed, just to kiss her goodnight. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to walk, and if I crush things, I crush things. That's what I told her. I'm just going to walk, and if, it, if something's valuable, it's crushed. It gets crushed because room's not clean. This is frustrating, but I, and so I was just stomping on Legos and going, ow, I was just crushing things. I was just walking over there, kiss her goodnight, love you, and I just walk out crushing things. And like, this room has got to get clean. We cannot live like this. And I'm just, I'm just ranting around the house. We've got to clean this room. And we try to get her pun, take away her iPad, take away her iPods. We're taking everything away. And she's like reading a book. <laughs> oh, Dad's a school assignment. <laughs> How is this room ever going to get clean? Me and Karen, like, we're coming with strategies and what, what a motivator. We're like, we're like, should we get cattle prongs and just zapper to do it? What do we do? And so I was, at a, I was at a meeting with other ministers and I was lamenting my family life to Cesar Lopez. And Cesar Lopez goes, Yeah, bro. You know what I do with my daughter? I just cleaned my room with her. And I was like, this sounds terrible advice. I'm sorry I asked you. <laughs> that was my reaction in my heart going, that's the worst advice you can ever give someone. It's her responsibility. It's her character. I was like, ignoring your advice, brother. Because I wanted her to do it. And so guess what happens to our relationship? All our conversations are negative. This is negative and negative and negative. I mean, I'm good hearted, trying to be a good dad. She needs character. She's got to grow. Remember my, my, my words? Weigh 500 pounds. And my wife's words weigh 50 pounds. So I'm just laying it in there. And so, finally dawned on me, I should probably help her. Can I come full circle? Yeah, Caesar said something about that. So I go, honey, how can I, what can I do to help? She's like, well, I need help with laundry. There's laundry, I mean, literally this high, laundry's piled. And so I, I put them in all colors. I put them in the bag. She's doing the Lego pickup. I'm doing laundry. I'm going downstairs. I'm put, putting it in. I'm washing. All right, get down. I'm folding. I'm doing it. It took me all, like, literally five hours just to spend time and doing it together. And she's staying in her room. And it got clean. I mean, it's totally, you can, it's like, wow, we should sell the house now. It looks awesome. This is amazing. It's amazing. So we walk in and go, money, this is amazing. And she goes, yeah. And it's been clean ever since. I don't know why it's been clean ever since, but I'm willing to help. So when it starts getting dirty, I know what to ask. What can I do to help? And we got it done. And guess what? Now our conversations are, 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 now it's not so negative. It's like we have good things to talk about that we should talk about. The assumption of mutual submission is you are of no less value than me. See, I valued me more than her. So I'm not going to help her with the room. That's her character. Well, I am no less value than her because what Jesus did for me puts us in the same path, same, same station of the cross. So I, I, here I thought I had more value than her. That's why that teaching was so futuristic because men were highly valued in the Roman, Roman culture. Highly valued. Women were not valued. They were just above a dog. So, to, to make us equal value is what the ideal is. So, mutual submission says, you're of no less value than me. While our responsibilities and roles are different, nobody is of less value. That's hard in a Latino household. 
where the man is, is raised to being, you are the man of this house, and no one will take your honor from you. Right. So the question of mutual submission is this. This question will change your family and generations to come. Here's the question. What can I do to help? I'm going to come into your world and you have all my resources. I'm going to leverage all my ability to come into your world and say, what can I do to help? The beauty of this question is that it offers a loan to your power for somebody else's benefit. It's an offer to come under or submit to the burden that somebody else is carrying. My daughter had a burden to carry, that room. So I submitted myself to her burden. Doing laundry. Sorting it. Stuffing it. Folding it. Putting it in her drawers. That's what it meant. For teenagers and college students, you have no idea how powerful this question is to your parents. Hey dad, what can I do to help? Hey mom, what can I do to help? That's a powerful question from a child. Husbands, if you ask this question to your wife, she very well may faint. (laughs) She may faint right there in the kitchen that she didn't have to ask you for help. But you came in and said, how can I help? As you pick your wife up off the floor. Come up, honey. Come up. Get some water on her. Wives, when you say it to your husbands, most likely they'll say nothing. Most likely they'll turn down your offer. But you know what? It will touch their soul. That's how men are. Men's like, I got it. But we're like, that's pretty awesome. When you're away, turn your back and gone. They're like, that's a pretty awesome question. As a tear rolls down their face. <laughs> then you come back, they wipe it away. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing a good job. I'm just working out here. <laughs> Parents, if you were to ask this question every day to your child, how would that change your, your, your way you talk with them? Your conversations with your children, if you don't ask this question, will primarily be negative. Homework. What can I do to help? Schedule. What can I do to help? Oh, you're fighting with your sister. What can I do to help? You're fighting with your brother? What can I do to help? Oh, you can't find a job? Well, what can I do to help? What do we normally say to those questions? Hey, work it out, shut up, go to your room, hey, and go get a job. That's, that's what we normally say. This question brings you into their world and says, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help? I'm going to give you every ounce of my resource. What can I do to help? Imagine what your conversations would be like. They'd actually be honest with you. They would tell you what's going on in their lives, maybe. What teens are afraid of most is getting yelled at and told what to do and being corrected constantly. Teens hate that. And so guess what they do? They don't tell their parents, boo. They'll throw you a bone and throw you, get, 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 to get you off the trail. They'll throw you some information. But the majority of it, they're not telling you, but they're throwing you something. So you're not totally suspicious. There's a whole lot of other stuff going on in their life. Like conflict at school and drama at school. 
and who wore the same shirt she wore at school and they were in the same class and how embarrassing that was. Right? All that stuff that girls go through and the guys and who likes this girl and have you been on a date yet and are you still a virgin? All this stuff is happening. And the parents have no clue. Maybe they're asking the wrong question. What can I do to help? That's the question. Do you know why we don't ask that question? I'll tell you the reason why I don't ask that question. I mean, I've been, I, it's been working for me, but I'll tell you why I, I don't like to ask it in my nature. is I'm afraid that something will be demanded of me. That they will take advantage of me. That's my fear with that question. That I'll be doing laundry for kids for years to come. <laughs> But that's exactly what God calls me to. To submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I don't ask it because I don't want to do it. What you don't know is this. So that something that we do is that thing that makes great families. This something, whatever they're going to tell you the answer is, that's the bread and butter of great families. See, by withholding the question, you're withholding the very thing you wish for. You're withholding yourself. You're withholding you from the relationship. And if you do that, something will always be missing in the relationship. Because you're not entering their world. When someone asks me for help at church, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And the Bible says the minister shouldn't do everything. And I know that, but sometimes that question is least asked in church. That's not a condemnation. That's just a reality. But I tell you, I'm moved by it when people say that. I'm like, I'm off, I'm off the ground, of course. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I appreciate Marty Wooten taking on the, the end of the year banquet. So I want to do it. I want to put me in charge. I want to do it. I'm like, that is awesome. It's incredible. We had a meeting this morning. It went fantastic. This question forces you to lean in. Not away, but to lean in. And let me tell you something. Selfless people are the happiest people on earth. They are the happiest people. When parents and their kids embrace selflessness, everybody's happier. And that's contagious. So, does this mean that I have to give up my authority in the house, Gio? Just, I just want to get down to the bare bones. Are you saying that I no longer have the authority of the man in my house? The answer is no. You still have the authority. But this was, that, that authority was modeled for you in the example of Jesus. He had the authority. And He came into your world. And there was a point in time in the Gospels where Jesus knew he was the most powerful man in the room and he got all his disciples together, the 12 of them. He was the most powerful man in the room, full authority. And you know what he did? He sat his disciples down and he washed their feet. That's what a man who has authority does. A man who has authority is not going and say, clean your room and do that and dinner better be at six and you better score a goal, son. Authority means I'm going to wash your feet. I'm the same. I'm going to lower myself. 
Isn't that what Jesus did? It's exactly what He did. He leveraged His authority properly. He didn't surrender it. He just leveraged it. They are the happiest. Because Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. But wait, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And we see that sometimes. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still helpless, powerless, weak, ill, incapacitated, while we needed help at the right time, Jesus dies for the ungodly. Isn't that amazing? At just the right time, He comes in. Think about your family for a second. Imagine who would ask that question, what can I do to help? Versus, why isn't your room clean? Why were you late? Or why this? Or why that? Think we're going to get to the root of the issue? Why don't I just ask, hey, what can I do to help? How can I help you? In the morning to get dressed so you're not late to school. What can I do to help? These are the questions. Again, he says... Greater love is no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down your life is that's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life. His question to us was, what can I do to help? The answer was, hey, God's going to judge me for my sin. I need help. I'll lay down my life. That was the law. He fulfills the law. He applied His power. He applied His influence. He applied His resources to the point of greatest need. He asked and answered the question, What can I do to help? It's when you want to ask it the least is when you need to ask it the most. It's when you want to ask it the least. Like, I don't want to, don't afford helping that room. gets crazy. It's going to take my whole day up. Is when I needed to do it the most. That's the question. Everyone should have at least three of these on their chair. Who else do you think in your life would benefit from this? What families that you know, just, just from the simple teachings of Jesus, would benefit from this teaching? This futuristic, old-fashioned teaching. And I want you to invite them. I want you to invite complete strangers like I do at gas stations. It's the most awkward 15 seconds of their life and mine. <laughs> but they go, what's this about, future family? It's about learning how to have a great family. I want that card. No one, no one ever says, who wants that? And they chuck it. No one does that. It's, it's amazing. They take the card. I want you to do that. And we have tons more. We want everyone you know to learn about these principles so they can have access to their family dynamics changing for the best. 
Next week, I want to invite you back because we're going to answer questions. Why do families fight and what to do about it? This concludes our service and what to do about it. This concludes our service now. Come back next week. Why do families fight and what to do about that? Thank you. And this concludes our service. Have a great fellowship.